Hello, Sunday Special Edition Seekers. Welcome to Summertime, August 6, 2017. We are overjoyed that you've joined us for this wonderful presentation today. Before we begin, I want to be sure that you know that it's back. The thrill is in the air. Master this business of recovery, Convention 2017. We look back over this weekend and know it was a life-changing good thing. Turn your back on disease and look forward to your future. All of this is at Convention 2017. A Vision for You presents The Power of the Big Book Weekend, September 15th through the 17th, 2017. Take this moment to register and reserve a hotel room. Visit Vision's website at www.avisionforyou.info. All of us are counting on seeing you there. So don't delay. Thank you. Now more good stuff is coming up. A Vision for You presents our Sunday special edition. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Melanie, and thank you for your service. And good morning to everyone, and welcome to a Sunday special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August 6, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, August 4th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern meeting, 10238. That's 10,238. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10240. That's 10,240. This morning, A Vision for You presents the plenitude of the program's promises. The 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. The 12 steps are designed to bring about a spiritual awakening. It is the spiritual awakening that removes the obsession and brings about our recovery. For the spiritual awakening to occur, the 12 steps should be worked in the prescribed order, one step at a time, beginning with the first step. Each step flows logically from the one before it and builds upon its principles. Many of us have heard of the nine-step promises from pages 83 and 84 of the Big Book. There are, however, an abundance of promises found in the Big Book. The promises are found all through the text. Each step has conditions, promises, and prayers. Today, four recovered compulsive overeaters will share their experience with the promises which can be found in steps one, two, and three, specifically beginning at the doctor's opinion through page 63. Let's begin now with panelist number one, Melissa C. from New York. Hi, good morning. Um, Am I able to be heard? Very well, thank you. Okay, great. Good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York, and um, gosh, I'm going to try to, like, get everything in because there there is so much on... um, Steps one, two, and three. Um, so, you know, okay, so step one, um, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. And, um, you know, so, like, where? what's the promise there? You know, um, 
the promise is I, I'm powerless, you know, and um, it says right in the doctor's opinion that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And so that's it. Like, I'm powerless because I have an abnormal body and a mind. And, you know, like, phew, what a, what a relief. It's, it's It was a relief to read it and and to fully digest it um, because what it tells me is I'm sick. And um, and so along with, like, knowing that I'm sick, um, I kind of had the, the – the relief that um you know I'm real I'm not to blame um that I'm not bad you know every time I um failed at this weight loss diet uh controlling my food thing I said things like oh gosh I'm being so bad and I got to get you know I want to be good and um you know so I'm not a bad person I'm a sick person and um and while I'm not to blame I need to find a way that I can live free of the pain of the disease. You know, we we recover from the symptoms, but we're never cured from this disease. And, you know, and so again, in the doctor's opinion on um, XXVI, it says, the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class. I can never use, never safely use alcohol in any form. And so, like, what jumps out at me is never. You know, this is lifelong. Um, I don't believe that one day, I know that one day I'm not, I'm not going to wake up and no longer be a compulsive overeater. You know, um, it, it, that piece is permanent. This is what I am. Um, and, and so I can never safely use my alcohol. Um, and on page 30, step one promises me that I'm like a man who's lost his legs. I'm I'm never going to grow new ones. Um, and neither does there appear to be any way of turning me um, into anyone other than me. You know, um, I, I've got brown eyes. Uh, you know, my feet are like a nine and a half. Um, I'm five foot five, and I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, um, and the other promise um, that jumped out is that I'm the type that's in the grip of a progressive illness. You know, ever, over any considerable pe- period. We get worse, never better. And so, like, huge relief again because it clearly makes sense now that every diet ended in failure, you know. And um, and every time that the diet failed, my weight gains were greater and greater. Um, every time I binged, my binges grew greater and greater. They grew crazier and crazier. Um, they weren't even um, foods I liked anymore at the end because that's how this disease had progressed for me. Um, I wasn't. It wasn't stuff that I even liked. It was just what was readily available, and um, and and my binges grew longer in duration. You know, my disease really progressed. And so, you know, what does this mean? What does this promise really mean in terms of my life? Um, it means I can finally declare, like, no more diets. You know, that's the promise here. No more schemes or gimmicks. It, it's, I love, like, the fact that I will never have to pay Weight Watchers, you know, another dime. They, they've gotten their last nickel from me. And 
Um, you know, and so when I'm watching TV late at night, like, and those ridiculous infomercials come on, like, the promise says I- I'm not going to open up my wallet um, because I know the truth. And um, so on New Year's Eve, uh, I'm not making any resolutions, you know, and I'm not sitting at the Thanksgiving table um, so stuffed that I can't breathe saying things like, I'm never doing this again, and tomorrow I'll start again. Um, You know, that's part of my past. And, um, you know, so like I I was um, in an exercise class last week, and there's two women there um, who were, it's hot out, and they were dressed in sweatsuits. And one of them said, I ate so much this week, I've got to sweat this out. You know, and I, I thought okay, I'm free from that. Like, this step one promises me that I'm not going to fall prey to the belief that a sweatsuit is going to cure this. It, you know, if that were the case, I would have I would have bought that sweatsuit. Um, you know, and so I also, um, here's the beautiful thing. I, I go on vacation today, like with my family, and um, I take care of my recovery. Um I know that I'm going to eat the same exact way um, and in the same portions as if I were at home. So, like, I prep my food before I go. Um, Food is not a recreational activity for me anymore. So the promise is is that on the last day of vacation, um, the clothes I brought still fit me. And I'm not telling myself things like, uh, tomorrow I'll get right back on. Um, There's huge peace in accepting this, uh, you know, as fact. Um, you know, and so, like, the other promise is I'm not imagining this. Like, this is real, and I don't need to feel embarrassed or apologetic for advocating for myself. It's like I, I, can, I can do that because I know that um, I have an illness. And the same way that I wouldn't apologize um, if I needed to, you know, if I were a diabetic and I needed to, like, prepare insulin and bring insulin to my friend's house, I wouldn't care that they were having a dinner and I needed to stop and do that. Um, you know, and so I, I feel the same way about what I have to do for my recovery. Um, I, I know to the core that um, I'm not just Melissa on another diet. Like, um, you know, and so when I'm in situations um I don't feel embarrassed and ashamed anymore. I feel like um, I seek the same escape with desperation that, uh, you know, like a drowning man is. And so I take step one every morning. You know, I begin my day back to me, and I remind myself that this is what I have, and and I have to continue um, to do the work so that I can live free. You know, okay, so now step two, um, what's the promise here? You know, there's a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. Um, and, and like, what problem? You know, like, all well, of them. <laughs> and that's, like, a great promise. Like, there's hope. And so, like, okay, I'm always going to be a compulsive overeater, but I'm promised that I don't need to suffer from it. Like, there's a power that can remove my suffering. And, um And so, like, okay, so on page 46, it says we found that as soon as we lay aside prejudice and expressed even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. 
And so, like, that's a great promise because I don't have to have all the answers. You know, I don't even have to have any of the answers. Um, All I need is an open mind and a willingness. And it's not so difficult. Like, I was making this huge. Um, For me, I was so prejudiced um, and closed-minded when it came to God, Um, when I came into OA. Um, I believe that this was one part of the program I was never going to get. And, and in fact, I kind of didn't want to get it. Like, that's where I was. Um, I believed God had screwed me. You know, I had um, some horrific, painful losses, um, you know, one of which was like a, we had a premature son, and and he died. And, um, and, yes, we went on to have other children and everything, you know, in that sense, but I could not make sense of a God that could keep me from eating ice cream, but still took my son, you know, and, and for me, that was like ludicrous, and so I bristled at the thought of God, and I hated even asking God for, for help with this food thing, um, you know, and yet, here I was, like, I knew I was powerless, I knew I couldn't do what I needed to do, and I had hope, like, I must have had a glimmer of hope, because, I was here, like, again, trying away yet again. And, um, you know, and so for me it was like, oh, wait, the hope is the thing that's greater than me. Like, and that was enough. Um, On page 46 it also says, I did not need to consider another conception of God. My own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach. And so, you know, my messy and unclear conception was enough. And, that's a beautiful promise. Like, God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. So if I would agree to, a look, to look, like, that's all I'm told here. Like, if you look, you're promised you're going to find what you're looking for. And, like, like I just love, like, love this. Like, take, like really take this in. I'm promised that I'm going to find what I'm looking for. And guess what? I don't even need to know what it is that I'm looking for but I'm going to find it just the same. And, you know, can you imagine, like, knowing you're going to find exactly what you need and you don't even need to know what it is that you need? Like, and that's the truth. It's like I found the very thing I needed to experience freedom. I simply had to say I need this power and then proceed to do the work. Like, that's the next part, you know. And so on page 46 it says the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. We believe it is open to all men. And, um, you know, and so I began to feel that same accepting, loving, and tolerant attitude. Um, I felt more loving towards the people who aggravated me. Like, this loving spirit accepted and included me. I felt the nearness of my creator, and then I wanted to draw near to other people. Um and so, and we're told, like, with this attitude, you cannot fail. Um, and that's a huge promise. So, like, all of us here cannot fail. And um, and then I love this other part. On page 55, it says, um, the consciousness of your belief will come to you. So it's like, just be reassured here. The awareness, the awakening will come to you. Steps to promise is not that 
you get the spiritual awakening at step two, but it's a promise that you will. It's like it really is the great promise of hope. It's like continue with the work. It's going to happen. And, um, okay, so step three, I made a decision to turn over our will and our lives to the care of God as we understood him. And so in step three, I decide that, you know what, my way of managing sucks. Um, It's like we've heard this before. In a sense, we decide to fire ourselves, and um, I'm alcoholic. I can't manage my life, and no human power can. And, you know, the truth is I can't handle the responsibility associated with running the show. It's like my eye can't help um, but look for what suits me best. Like, I cannot see the big picture. I'm human. And so, like, although my intentions are mostly good, all I can see is the way I believe it should be. And, you know, I love, I heard someone on the line here one time explain that, like, you know, what I can see is, like, through the keyhole, and I make great decisions about what's on the other side of the door, and then I do behaviors to try to manipulate things to go my way. I don't see the big picture. And, um, you know, and, like, I think about it in these terms. Like, what makes me think I know what's best? I I couldn't even manage how much food to put in this body, you know. Um, <clears throat> so the step three promises are on page 63. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things have followed. We had a new employer being all-powerful, He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs, and more and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious, there's that awaken reference again, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, the hereafter, and we were reborn. Um, and so what's my story is I became less interested in Melissa. You know, um, for so long it was painful and awkward living in my body. And and some of that was being, you know, I was over 300 pounds at one time. And so um, it, it was easy to be concerned with me. Like I felt... Um, uh, uncomfortable, apologetic to be taking up so much space when you're afraid that you're going to break a chair, not sit in a theater seat, plane seats, aisles on the bus. Um, it's like I was trapped in the cage of my body, and that really ramped up myself, um, you know, my my self-possession, like only thinking of me. And so, yes, the physical transformation definitely frees me from that, but... <clears throat> the ego reduction of this program. So, like, I walk into places today, and I'm not as concerned with what's what's for me, but who can I help, you know? And and it's done in little actions. It's, um, you know, I do notice overweight people today. I make a point to move a chair aside so somebody is more comfortable. Um, you know, when I go to a restaurant... I asked to sit in a booth because I remember not being able to sit in a booth and, and not have a table with chairs available. And, um, you know, that's a small service I can do. 
Um, you know, on a final note, I know like I'm running out of time, I, I really want to share how this promise um, of losing my fear um, has impacted my family because that was a big one here. Um, and so I, I was away a couple of weeks ago um, with my family on a vacation. And, you know, I have a, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and it, it came to my attention that she was doing some things that I was really not happy about. Um, and fear began to creep in. And, um, you know, so, like, after all, I'm her mother, and um, I know, like, okay, I'm supposed to let God be God, but that can't possibly apply to my kids, right? Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, definitely this is where it applies. And so I was terrified. Like, some stuff was going on, and I'm scared. And the first thing I fear feel is hunger, like unbelievable hunger. And I'm so grateful I have a food plan because I knew it was not legitimate, you know, and I knew I couldn't, like, honor the hunger. I needed to honor my, my recovery. And the next thing was I got quiet and I, I, I went to other people, went to recovered people. And, and then I finally, you know, told my husband what was going on. And I said, I'm scared and I don't know what to do. And um, this man who I've been married to for over 20 years, you know, he's a self-described non-believer, says, oh, come on, Melissa, you have all this program. Like, um, and, and he's like, what do you always say to me when I'm worried about my job? He's like, you always say, don't worry, babe. God's got this. The universe has a plan. It's all going to be okay. And I laughed when he said those words because it was like God was saying to me through the mouth of my husband exactly what I needed to hear. And and I found out in that moment, like, um, my first one, my husband's been listening to me. Like, that was a beautiful surprise because I thought he really doesn't listen to me. And the other thing is, um, you know, here was my life partner. Like, God wasn't saving me from having a 16-year-old. But but this beautiful power has given me a life partner. And, you know, and then I looked at my husband and I realized I was being selfish because I was concerned with my fear. And he's entitled to have some fear, too. And so I said to him, um, wow, do you want me to say that to you now? And he said, yes, please, I need to hear it. And so there I was. I, I was repeating those words back to him. And I felt closer to my husband. I felt closer to God. Uh, and so, like, the nearness of God came to me. Like, it brought to my consciousness. And so, like, nonsense with my daughter was a beautiful thing because it brought me nearer to God. Um, thank you. And um, with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you very much, Melissa C. And now I introduce our second panelist, Penny L.C. from Washington. Good morning, Leah. Good morning to the other panelists, and good morning to everyone on the line. This is Penny L.C., a grateful recovered compulsive overeater from the state of Washington. And when I was um, asked to participate and look at these promises, I uh, was so grateful to do so, but I as, as I was reviewing all of them, I kept coming back to those in step two. And so my, my share today is going to be focused on the second step promises. And what is the second step? 
Well, it's came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And what I've done with these promises is I've personalized them so that it would read, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And that's where I'm going to go with these promises. And the first one, uh, it tells me on page 45, this book's, quote, main objective is to enable me to find a power greater than myself which will solve my problem. Wow. There's a spiritual solution. That's what this is telling me, and it's a promise. There is a way out. And how many years have I struggled? How many years have I, have I thought I knew a higher power, and yet there was some barrier that was that made the food more than going to my higher power. So this was the first look at step two's spiritual principle of hope. I had hope. I had hope there was a, a solution. I had hope there was another way besides turning to that bag, box, or carton that was going to solve my dilemma. So then I went on to um, page 46. And there I'm assured that, quote, as soon as I lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than myself, I commenced to get results even though it was impossible for me to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. So first of all, I realize um, I'm also told on page 47 that I need to set aside. It says, quote, Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. And my definition of a higher power was something I could question. I could look at that and I could decide for me, I realized after all this time, what influences had been coming to me to tell me what a higher power was, who God was for me. And I I call my uh, higher power God, so I will be referring that way to uh, my higher power. But, but I needed to personalize this higher power. I needed to set aside all those old ways of thinking about that higher power. To me, God had been um, a power that was judgmental, that was critical in the sense of of you know wanting wanting me to have it all together and i felt that i was never enough and therefore i could never go to this higher power that that was a huge block for me and instead i was able to let go of any doubt or certainty about a personal relationship and I could choose to believe in the God that I could, I could choose 
that I could imagine. So my God is a loving, unconditionally loving, all-accepting God that loves me just where I am today with all of my shortcomings. Yes, and even all of those character defects I'm going to define in step four and and five. And this God cares about me, and this God is available for me 24-7. And I can always go to this God no matter what. That was a whole new new way of looking at that. I set, I was able to set aside. Use, I used the set aside prayer, and set aside all those old conceptions, and let just what was going to work for me come in. There was some freedom in doing that. And then moving on to page forty six, further down, it also promises: as soon as I admit the possible existence of a creative intelligence, another name for God, a spirit of the universe, another name for a higher power, underlying the totality of things, I will begin to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided I took other simple steps. So there, I just had to have the willingness to go forward and to do the 12-step program in its entirety. And as it says, willing to go to any length. I couldn't shirk. I couldn't choose which steps I wanted to work and not work. I couldn't choose to make some effort for a, you know, a week and then just put it aside. No, this had to be a new commitment, a concerted effort to go through the steps from the beginning to the end and do all of that work that was required if I wanted to really gain that freedom that I was being promised. And then continuing on page 46, it also states, quote, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to me who earnestly seek it. It is open, I believe, to all. And what that meant to me, again, was an openness and an awareness that this sense of spiritual solution that was being offered to me was open to all faiths, all religions, all atheists, all agnostics. And again, using the set-aside prayer to just have that openness, to realize this was an answer for me. I had a personal situation happen where as a, as a young person, I was, I was raised by a single mother of divorced parents. So my father figure was more my grandfather. And my he was a self prescribed atheist. And yet he was one of the most um, mm, most amazing people and had a very 
great sense of, of uh, humanity and of doing good. But I believe um, that was his way of just stating his, his uh, position that he did not want to choose to follow a religion. And I, when I chose to seek out my own religious uh, beliefs, I knew that I couldn't accept anything that was going to tell me that that man was going to have uh, less of a of um, of a gift from from a from a god that I would accept than I would. I just that was something that I had to be sure of, and this program was was reinforcing that that even though my grandfather was an atheist. He was accepted by by my God, and the same way that I was. That promise meant a lot to me. And then moving on to page forty seven, the next promise was that quote I found myself accepting things, which then seemed entirely out of reach. Wow, accepting things. Acceptance is the key. This program has, has told me that, and um, and I believe it so that now I'm able to let go of resistance and be more open to direction and able to trust the God of my understanding. This was huge for me. Um, I used to have so much of an underlying thread of resistance because I was, I never did show it though. At least I didn't think I did because I was the good kid. I was the people pleaser. But how did I take that resistance and that defiance? Oh, I took it to the refrigerator and I took it to the cupboard and that's where it manifested itself. And instead, I could find a way of living in acceptance and not having to turn to that and instead being able to turn to a higher power that I believed in and that I believed believed in me. And on further, uh, it also lets me know on page 47 that, quote, it has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderful, effective spiritual structure can be built. Okay. It tells me I have a way to do life with support from an infinite source of power, no matter what life brings. I used to think every time that something would come up against, that that I'd come up against something, whether it was uh, a loss in the family, whether it was um, my losses with with uh, with my own uh, uh, experiences with trying to conceive, I also lost a baby in in uh, in utero, and that was a huge loss. I, I um, went on to have healthy children, also, but I also lost my health and was a um, a cancer survivor uh, only to have it metastasized three years later and be stage four. And I survived that as well. And that put me at 
at a place of, a, you know, knowing that my life was a miracle. Um, but that didn't, that didn't solve my problem either. You know, I could, I could make the, the uh, conviction that I would, you know, now I was going to let go of my weight and be healthy. But this disease had other ideas because I still wasn't fully relying on a higher power. And so I turned back to the food. It took this disease to fully get my attention for me to finally surrender and be willing to turn to God and to let God be my source of power and strength and support. And moving on, um, it pledges on page 50, quote, since I have come to believe in a power greater than myself, to take a certain attitude toward the power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in my way of living and thinking. Oh boy, you bet. I'm able to let go and let God today. I no longer need to be in control. I no longer need to manage or manipulate others. And believe me, that was something I tried really hard to do. Um, Controlling others so that somehow I would feel life was under control. So I adopted my one of my favorite mantras is, blessed are the flexible for they will not be bent out of shape. And today I can be flexible. That's a gift. My other um, belief that, that I, I remind myself all the time is, do I want to be right or do I want to have peace? And boy, that peace is, is such a nice uh, place to lay my head at night. And that's leading further down on page 50. Quote, I found a new power. I found that, excuse me, I found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into me. Today I see my higher power's purpose for me. I'm clear that God wants me to be of service to others. And that's part of that spiritual structure that's been given to me. And what a gift that is, to be able to be other-focused instead of self-centered and selfish. Doesn't mean I don't factor in self-care. I know I need to have that element first. I need to take care of myself so that then I can give purely from my heart to others. And going on to page 55, the consciousness of my belief, oh, excuse me, this quote, the consciousness of my belief is sure to come to me, end quote. I became aware of a belief system that worked for me, that connected me to a power source sufficient to provide good orderly direction. I could be connected to this God of mine now. I could hear this God. I could want to have conversation with this God, and I could want to sit quietly 
and let this God speak to me. And what a beautiful relationship this has created. And then moving on to page 57, quote, even so, God has restored me to my right mind, end quote. Oh, bless, I've been blessed with freedom from compulsive overeating and compulsive behaviors. And I live sanely and usefully today. And that's a miracle that I'm grateful for by just simply choosing to believe in God and that God can restore me to sanity, which he has, I believe. Finally, when I, on page 57, quote, when I drew near to him, we did, he disclosed himself to me. And, and, end quote. And, and yes, and as I developed, and I've been developing continually on an ongoing basis, my relationship, I've grown closer. I have a clearer sense of God's will for me. I have that connectedness with my intuition that lets me know what God, that that lets me know what I believe is God's will. And that gives me that sense of assuredness that the decisions that I make and the choices I make each day are going to be on the right path are going to continue to allow me to recover and be and know that I am recovered today so long as I stay in fit spiritual condition. And that's a promise that I've been given and a promise that I can take with me each day of my life. And this program has been my saving grace and I thank you very much for letting me share and with that I'll pass thank you very much Penny LC panelist number three Charles H good morning and good morning vision family Charles H a recovered compulsive overeater um so I'd like to thank my higher power God for waking me up this morning And before I start my presentation, I'd like to start on page 63 with the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, excuse me, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, thy way of life. Um, May I always do, may I do thy will always. And uh, once again, Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. I want to stay on 63 for a minute um, where it says, we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready. Um, That was my problem. I was thinking too much. Um, So, yeah, I, I was thinking too much. I just had too much on my mind. I was just too fettered and blocked with obstinacy and all types of, other issues going on. 
I love these promises on the top of page 63. As soon as I take that take such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. Uh, we had a new employer. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. We became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flowed in, we enjoyed a peace of mind. We discovered we could face life successfully. As we began, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. And the 11th promise um, on the third step is we were reborn. No Nicodemus, we did not, I did not go back in my mother's belly and get reborn. No, I got reborn here on earth. Um, and I'd like to jump right to page 27 where it says, you know, um, uh, Roland was asking um, Dr. Carl Jung. He said to the doctor, is there any exceptions? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours, Charles, has been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. And on the bottom of 27, it says, for application, see Appendix 2. Um, it says, to me, these occurrences are phenomena. That means rare occasion. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes. Pay attention to that word, Charles. Attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives began to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangements within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employ are successful, but I've never um, been successful with an alcoholic of your description. So um, so the first three principles is, is, one, honesty, two, hope, and three, faith. So what brought me in and what I didn't realize, because it was under underneath all that stuff, was I was dishonest, hopeless, and fear-based. And I just read those third-step promises um, that those are the things, along with selfishness, self-centeredness, and egocentric and all that stuff, can be rooted out if this foundation, one, two, and three, is set on a daily basis, right? Um, wow. And, and uh, page 50, where panelists, too, did such a great job on the second step, but I, I'd like to reiterate, here are thousands of men and women Worldly indeed, they flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude, remember that word again, I said attitude, Charles, towards that power, and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. So I looked up the word attitude where it says a settled way of thinking or feeling of something typically, one that is affected, reflected, excuse me, in a person's behavior. And examples of attitude is viewpoint, perspective, standpoint, position, inclination, temperament. So those are the things that need to be changed in me. So then I looked up that word abandoned. So that wasn't, a, I didn't abandon nothing but the food or the other substances like crack, you know, weed. I, I, I abandoned those things, but I was just still a dry drunk like the man of 30, right? So I looked up the word abandon, and it says to give up, leave, cease, or, cease, or withdraw from 
and most of all, surrender. So abandon is located in the big book at least four times. You know, page 164, we know that famous closing in a vision for you, page 305. But the ones I want to focus in on today is page 59 and 63. Page 59 says, half measures avail us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. And then page 63 says, like I said before, we thought well before taking a step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. And that's what I need to do, Charles H. I need to abandon myself of self-will, of what, how I, I see it, my perspectives, why y'all doing this, why, why y'all doing all that. I need to abandon myself of that attitude and take a certain attitude towards that capital P, power. And I don't got to tell you what my faith is. I just got to let you know today that I got some faith, right? So let me take you to page Let me take you to page 60 where it says, being convinced we were at step three. Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I was not convinced, right? Because I was never kind, considerate, patient, generous, neither modest or self-sacrificing. I was a self-seeker even when trying to be kind. I was an actor. I was self-centered, egocentric, and always complaining about something. And I was the minister who was sighing over the sins of the 20th century, right? I was. I was like, why are they doing this? Why are they smoke so much? Why? You know what? That why is not important because when I was smoking so much, ain't nobody say that. So why all of a sudden I'm not doing it, I'm saying it. Because that certain attitude that I had, that, that these foundation steps can root out of my life. So let me tell you some other stuff. Um, uh, so, yeah, the doctor's opinion. You know, I believe in... I believe in myself today and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Let me tell you, I was at the gate of death. You know, not just physical death, mental death, spiritual death. You know, my head was hot every single day. I never paused. I never paused. I was just full steam ahead. So in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. My ideals were grounded in a child. <laughs> you know, um, I think a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, the young lady did a, a beautiful presentation and saying, first of all, I had to quit playing God. I had to quit playing God. It did not work. And I think in We Agnostics it says that the God idea works, but my ideas never work. So like we said, like I said on page 27, my ideas and emotional rearrangements, they had to, I had to cast those things to one side, but I did not have the power to cast them to one side, right? Because page 59 tells me um, that without help, it is too much for us, but there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now, right? Um, I need to find him. I need to search with all earnestness. And I balked at these things. I tried to find an easier, softer way, and I could not. With all the earnestness at our command, these first beautiful hundred people, they begged of us to be fearless and thorough from the very start. I don't know what your story is. I know some of the great teachers in this beautiful meeting told me their, their story. 
you know, they got football numbers. If you come in here on a winning streak, yo, I'll take my head off and, and bow it to you. But I didn't come here on a winning streak, you know. And even in the rooms, even in this great meeting, my mindset needed to be smashed. You know what? And I just want to say this, too. I can't wait till the 10 a.m. meeting has, you know, people need to be unmuting feverishly to share this beautiful message because they live two lives in one lifetime. We need to be like that. That's how it should be. And when I'm, you know, when I'm not here on earth anymore and I transition, I hope it carries on like that. It should because we should be happy and we should be trying to help other people because Bill W. tells me in, in, in the doctor's opinion that that is how the fellowship starts, right? It says, in the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conception to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their family. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. Oh, I love that, you know. But, but you know, um, I, I love that stuff. But I, how, how soon do I forget, right? Um, I love chopping up this doctor's opinion with other people because they help me more than I could ever help them, right? And it's something I've seen in the doctor's opinion that, that really disturbed me, which was a, it was an unmanageability, which is the second part of the first step that I did not like. And here it is, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to share it with you. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life that we were in full flight from reality or outright mental defective. These things were true to some extent. In fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our, our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical fact is incomplete. So how soon do I forget when, you know, um, I, I hear on the line that food and weight is not our problem, but I keep trying it again and again, and this is my story. And this is because I didn't take that certain attitude towards that power, right? Um, I'm jumping around the place, but I love to jump because, thank God, I could do it, right? So more, here's some more promises. We learned on page 30, more about alcoholism, one of my favorite chapters. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery, the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. I had to smash that delusion, but I couldn't do it on my own. We, alcohol, we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. Those are warnings, but I think those are, are, are promises too. The word control at least five times on this page, yet still, I still want to control it. Page five, Bill's story. Nevertheless, we heard what Bill went through. He went to Canada. He went here. He was a competent businessman. He, you know, he, he chattered in the millions and spent in the thousands. And it says on that same page, three, I made a host of fair-weather friends. But top of page five, after moving to Montreal and becoming a bump, right, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And he had periods of, of abstinence. Which which Lois I think Lois was she Lois Lois was a G she knew that Bill was trying to G her especially on page two and I could identify with that because I try to G my family too like you know what look how good I'm doing I bought a pair of sneakers 
I didn't smoke it up this time. I didn't eat it up this time. I didn't miss uh <laughs> I didn't miss our payments. I paid half the cell phone bill this time. You know, they Lois knew that Bill was trying to G her. And I could identify in my own life trying to G um the people around me and trying to look good. Fred, <laughs> my man Fred said, you know, thanks for the information. I could identify. Like thank you. You know, thank you for, for being melodramatic and always, um, you know, trying to quote big book to me and all that stuff. Thank you. But look, look at me. Like, I've got college kids that go to college. I've got a great job, a great house, great wife. But I'm an alcoholic, <laughs> you know. Let me take you to, let me take you there because I'm power phrasing, but this guy really helped me, Fred, because if I could fix the outside, everything will be all right. What did he say? To all appearances, he's a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he's an alcoholic. I had to highlight that. And I got a friend that we, we studied a book together, and that person's like, oh, I got to highlight that. I'm like, yeah? Why don't you internalize it in your, in your heart? And that's what I, I needed to do that. I needed to internalize about Fred. You know, it says Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept the spiritual malady for his problem. I wouldn't accept it. I wouldn't accept this, this spiritual help, even though the book says I need to accept this help, and I would not accept it. You know, I've seen you guys all over the country, Virginia, Boston, California, and our next month I'm going to see you all in Newark. And here's my promo. Here's my promo. I would not miss this occasion, this life-saving occasion in my life. This is a phenomenon. This is, you're going to see spirituality. You're going to see four, four dimensions. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be electric. And, you know, the speakers are phenomenal. They're great. But you know what's so dope? Pure dope. No cut. The meetings after the meetings. The meetings in the gym. The meetings in, in people's hotels rooms. When we, we break it down, page 84 to 88 and we're praying together, 10, 20 strong in the meetings. We ain't going to be sleeping much. Get some sleep Thursday night. Get some sleep Thursday night because it's going to be lit. We're going to have a party. It ain't got nothing to do with any substances. And that is the foundation, my friend. I would not miss this. I would not miss this if I was you. Get on that website and register. Get a hotel room. I've seen amazing things in Virginia. We we giving people rooms and paying for rooms and all that stuff. That's just my experience because this is the altruistic um, movement that Dr. Silkworth seen Bill W. in the first hundred, and we want to repeat that, right? When I'm not feathered with what you know, my thoughts and myself and all those things, right? That's when I'm reborn every single day. So I know my time is is, is about to be up, and I just want to um let you know that this thing is real, man. These 12 steps are not human, but they have changed my life. And I just want to share something real quick. I changed, I changed careers, and I had nothing to do with it. God was involved, and, and the principles in, in these foundation steps, you know, were involved with that. I didn't have to do no interview. I didn't have to do none of that stuff. You know why? Because I trust God. I'm chasing God like my hair's on fire. And, um, where is this thing at? Okay, I've got something that I would like to say. God says, if you shall seek me, you will find me. And when you seek me, when you search for me with all your heart, 
I'll be there. So God ain't never moved. I did the moving. Now I ain't trying to get evicted from the higher power of my overstanding, which is God. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah, for this opportunity. Thank you, Charles H. I now welcome our fourth and final panelist this morning, Lisa H. from Tennessee. Good morning. I'm Lisa H., a recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee. And thank you for the opportunity uh, to share today. I'd like to begin with my daily prayer. God, I turn my will and my life over to you this day for your keeping. Your will, Lord, not mine, be done. I ask for your guidance and direction. I will walk humbly with you and your fellow man. You are giving me a grateful heart for my many blessings. You are removing the defects of character that stand in my way. You will give me freedom from self-will. Let love, compassion, and understanding be in my every thought, word, and deed this day. I release those to you who have mistreated me. I truly desire your abundance of truth, love, harmony, and peace. As I go out today to do your bidding, let me help anyone who is less fortunate than I. Amen. Um, When asked to talk about promises, of course, I had to look up promise. And, And what is a promise? A promise is a declaration or assurance that one, a person, will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. And I had made lots of promises, lots of declarations in the past, promising myself and my family that I would stop eating sugar or I would stop restricting or stop over-exercising. Or I promise to stop lying and manipulating. I promise I won't eat your Halloween candy. I promise I won't eat the last piece of cake or the last cookie. But for me, these were all broken promises. Um, The definition of promise, of course, that's the focus for today, is that a particular thing will happen. Um, The promises abound uh, throughout the big book, like Leah said, and If I take action, and in this case, working the steps, I will have a spiritual awakening, a psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery. Uh, This morning, I want to share about some of these promises um, that are found in the beginning of the big book that have come true for me. Remember, in the doctor's opinion, we learn we have a a twofold nature of our disease. We have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And I knew about the obsession. I knew about the mental obsession because I, all I ever thought about was food, you know, when I would eat, what I would eat, how much I would eat, how could I sneak a little more and hide my candy so it was all for me. Um, but I really didn't understand about the allergy of the body until, until I read and heard about it um, in the big book and, and on this meeting. From the doctor's opinion on page XXIX in the first full paragraph, it states, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol 
the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. And that promise to be easily able to control my desire for sweets, wow. That was what I had always wanted. But it is necessary to follow a few simple rules for any of these promises to occur. I had to have this thing, um, and I I had to start working for it. Um, First for me was admitting I was powerless. Uh, I, you know, uh, in and of myself, I did did not want to admit any such thing. Um, I realized, though, that I was not only powerless over food, I was powerless over people, places, and things. I was done, um, defeated by the food, by life. Uh, I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, And I had come to the end of myself. I was I was desperate for change. Um, Dr. Silkworth suggests that to be relieved from the phenomenon of craving, we have to be entirely abstinent. And on page XXXI, he tells of his experience with a man who once was a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck. And this describes me uh, when I was in the food. And this same man had emerged a man brimming brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. Could this really come true for me? Um, I learned that I had to put down my alcoholic binge foods and behaviors and pick up this big book. I had to concede to my innermost self that I was a real compulsive overeater, that I truly had lost the ability to control my eating and my life. As my abstinent days stretched into weeks and I immersed myself in the big book and the steps, the desire for sugar began to disappear. I felt a sense of peace and contentment that I wanted more than anything, and I wanted it to last. From Bill's story on page 11, uh, when Ebby has come to see Bill, and Bill writes, but my friend sat before me. And he made the point blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead. Suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. And there in that paragraph are two promises. One, that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. And two, that life was better than the best he had ever known. I believe that God had helped me to get and stay abstinent. And God had lifted the mental obsession around food for me. Um, Life had began to feel lighter and and enjoyable and not drudgery. Um, I began to walk with my head up, uh, seeing and experiencing life in a new way. Uh, The longer I was abstinent, the clearer my thinking became. The clearer my thinking became, the more I realized I had to establish a relationship with a power greater than me. 
and to nourish it if I was to become and stay sane around food uh, and in life. This brings me to the promise, there is a solution. How many times had I thought I had found the solution? The latest diet was always my solution. Sadly, every one I tried, I gained back all the weight I had lost. But I didn't know what I didn't know. There is a solution if we worked for it. From page 25, uh, we saw that it really worked in others. I had to be willing, willing and open to a higher power, a spirit of the universe, a God of my understanding that could solve my food and living problem. I had to set aside my old ideas about God and get a new conception of God. I came to by putting down my binge foods and then came to believe that my creator cared about all of me, especially my food. Um, I thought God cared. I could, you know, I could give God my family and, and, and my friends and my situation, but, but didn't seem like my food was important enough. Um, seemed insignificant, but I came to find out that God really did want all of me. Um, by turning to God and not food, I had, like it says on page 25, found much of heaven and was rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which I had never even dreamed. It goes on to say, our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in such a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things of which we could never do by ourselves. And this is the second time the assurances stated that God can do what we could not. These promises have come true for me. On my own, I couldn't stay abstinent no matter how hard I tried. One day at a time, with the help of my higher power, I can live in the sunlight of the spirit, even when life gets busy and loud, even through the anniversary of my dad's death, the death of a close friend, a cancer scare, even my daughter's wedding, which historically would have led me to eat and eat and eat to cover a multitude of emotions, happy and sad. On page 39, it says, Further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. Just the word recovered, that is a promise in and of itself. Recovered by the grace of God, I had to keep working. With the help of my higher power and a guide in whom the problem had been solved, perhaps I could get this promise. Perhaps I could get recovered recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, is attainable with God's help. From We Agnostics on page 45, this book's main object object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. I commenced to list the qualities I wanted in a higher power, gentle, kind, loving, ever-present, I had to lay aside my old ideas about God. It was impossible for me to really define God. I just knew it wasn't me. 
I was greatly relieved to read on page 46. We found that God does not make too hard a terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. The word seek is used twice in this paragraph, which gives me, gives me direction. To seek is to attempt to find. My seeking began with prayer and quiet time, <clears throat> listening and reading about how others sought out their higher power, making a daily habit of seeking God. One of the biggest things I had to do was to slow down, to be still, and to breathe in God and breathe out self. I began by making a gratitude list every day. I tried to find small ways uh, every day to seek God. I started praying while I was at work. Even every time I washed my hands, and, and because I'm a nurse, I was doing it many times during the day. Um, on page 50, it says, this power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. And there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. The miraculous for me was being able to put down the sugar and not pick it up again. The miraculous for me was being honest about my eating and my feelings. The miraculous was, as it says on page 50, I had found a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction that flowed in. I had come to believe, like it says on page 55, we found a great reality deep down within us. I had always thought that God was out there or up there. Um, now, my higher power is as close as my breath. It's a part of me here and now. But how am I to keep these promises? Every day, I have to humbly offer myself to my maker. As it says on page 57, he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. I have to honestly seek him every day. And he shows me how to live in the present. I have to turn my will and my life, my food, my family, my friends, my job, everything over to him every day, saying many times a day, thy will be done. And please, God, show me the next right thought or action. Of course, there are times when I want to tell others what to do. I want to control outcomes. I want to fix things. But after all, I am human. I had to decide, like it says on page 62, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. And from page 63, when we earnestly took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him. We were reborn. I no longer want to run the show all the time. 
I can be present and supportive of my family without telling them what to do. It's no longer my way or the highway. I can now recognize when it's none of my business. I can turn to God instead of compulsive overeating when I feel this well of emotions. The best promise of all, it's as if I've been reborn to a new way of thinking, being, and living with God's help. I know especially that I have to be and live in the present, that I have to wake up each day and begin again. With that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa H., and thank you to all our panelists this morning for such beautiful and inspiring shares. Contact information for the panelists will be provided at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to question and answer segment. If you have a question for one of our panelists, please press star 1 to unmute and announce yourself. Katie G from Boston. Katie G, got you. Anyone else? Uh, Paul from uh, Paul from Ottawa. Paul, your last your initial for your last name, please. Uh, G. G. Thank you. Okay, let's start with that. Katie G. Hey, Leah. May I be heard? You're heard. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Katie G. Recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. So blessed by all of you, Leah, uh, Melanie, and all of you wonderful God, God-filled God speakers and anyone who wants to answer this would be great. So one through three, we get all these promises, right? So why would we keep going, <laughs> right? So, you know, I, I'm taught that if I make a decision, it's immediately followed by more action. And so I love this topic, and I just was hoping you guys could tell me for you, so you get all these promises, so why didn't you stop one, three? And uh, I don't mean to be flip. I honestly mean that, and uh, would love to hear from you. With that, I pass. Lisa H. Yes, please go ahead. Hi, Melissa. Thank you. And then Melissa. Go ahead, Lisa. Okay, thank you. Um, that's a great question because, uh, but I, what I remember for me is um, when, those, when I had wor- done those first three steps and I truly had been um, not uh, tempted by the sugar, not wanting to always go to the food, Um, I had, you know, I guess I had learned I had to trust God, clean house and help others. And so for me, I thought I I have got to keep going. Part of it was the keep going part, um, moving on with the steps was to keep that, keep those promises, keep that, um, keep that mental obsession with the food lifted. And I think I knew the only way I could do that was to clean up the past. Um, I also think that moving forward with the steps, I mean, I, I, I had to ask God in at every turn. 
I knew the only way that I was going to be able to be thorough and honest um, with doing the rest of the step was to, to continue to seek him, to continue to stay close to him. Um, but I was, I think at that point I was hungry. Ha ha. I don't no pun intended um, for more, for more um, enlightenment, if you will, for more awakening, for more change. Um, I was hungry and thirsty for it. And so um, I think that's what kept me continuing on. Thanks. Thanks, Lisa H. Melissa, you also wanted to respond. Hi, it's Melissa C. Yeah, you know what? I tried just doing steps one, two, and three, and it wasn't effective. And that's, um, it wasn't enough. You know, I I returned to myself again. I returned to self-will, um, and, and I returned to the food, of course. And so, um, you know, like step three is you made a decision. Like I made the decision to turn my will over. Um, and so now I need to do it. You know, like that's really it. It's um, it, it's just, and, and I loved like when it really was, you know, explained to me and I really finally got that step two is like, it's the promise that you're going to get the consciousness of your belief. Like you will get it. It's the hope to press on. And um, yeah, I mean, um, it's like we've heard that step one, two, three, that waltz before someone's shared that on this line a lot. And I laughed when I heard that because that is exactly what I tried. And um, and then it became really clear to me um, that I was taking Every time I stopped after step three, um, it was really a step one issue because I believed that I had the power again. I thought, okay, one, two, three, now now I'm in control again, right? And um, so step one, two, and three is like just that. It's like the prerequisite. You know, it's the course that comes before. And, um, yeah, so we, we press on because it fails. You know, like that's my truth. It fails. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you both. Thank you, Katie, for the question. Paul G., your turn. Thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks, everybody on the panel. I just, I'm so filled with, uh, uh, I feel like I'm so filled with recovery and love today after listening to everybody. It's amazing. Um, Just briefly, so I had uh, three years of abstinence until this past May, and uh, my daughter um, was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, so I switched cities from Toronto to Ottawa. And my food, I don't know how to describe it. Like I, It was like suddenly I was on a tight wire, and I was trying to eat healthy, but moving, going back and forth, I, things were just a little sketchy. And then I ended up picking up one of my bottom-line abstinence foods, and so I lost my abstinence. And now um, I was just wondering if people... Uh, could just briefly talk about just what they're eating now or, you know, what they won't eat now and um, in that context. So I can just kind of return to some kind of same base. So I don't know if I'm framing the question exactly the way I want to hear it, but that's my question. Thanks. Thank you for the question. Let's keep it uh, on the more general side, perhaps, teaching about identifying uh, 
those substances, how to identify those substances that create that phenomenon of craving, the allergic substances, ingredients, et cetera. How did you, panelists, go through the doctor's opinion and identify those substances which you needed to eliminate in order to be abstinent? Melissa C. Go ahead, Melissa. Anyone else as well? Okay, Melissa, why don't you go ahead and start? Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm glad that you said, like, not to get specific because it is a very personal and issue, and it's something I think best worked out um, with with a sponsor, like in a private, you know, conversation and with God included, like with a higher power included. But that being said, like, one of the things that I – do with people that I that I help and work with is like I you know we create that list and if it's something I've ever binged on or something I've ever tried to control um, and failed at it's it's on the it's on that red list and then you know and then I create the green list the stuff that just um, never got me out of bed in the middle of the night stuff that can safely sit in a refrigerator um, and sometimes even go rotten because I just don't remember it or, um, you know, it, it's usually stuff that for me doesn't have a lot of uh, artificial stuff in it, so it does tend to spoil quick. Um, and then something I find is helpful um, is that middle list. And so we put stuff on the middle list, and what I tell people that I'm working with is we have no ability to, to differentiate the true from the false. Like that's part of the condition of this compulsive overeating. Um, And so while working the steps, let's agree only green foods. And the stuff that fell in the middle, in that middle area, we're going to assume for the time being that those are red. And when you're working through the steps and sanity, when you're done, you know, not that we ever finish, but when you're in a recovered state, sanity will return. And then you can re-examine were those foods in that middle list um, alcoholic or um, or not? Um, and then we kind of decide that in that in that time period. And usually what I find is people who are really pissed off about not eating the, those yellow foods, those middle foods, if you're really bothered by it, then it was a red food to begin with. And if you're not bothered by giving it up, then it's not a big deal to put it down. Um, and that's really where we start from. And um, I hope that answers your question. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Melissa C. Any other panelists want to address the allergy of the body? Okay, well, Melissa C. certainly covered it well. Hope that's helpful, Paul. I certainly encourage you to have more specific conversations with members of the fellowship offline, and I'm sure that will be helpful to you. Any other questions for our panelists this morning? Star 1 to unmute to identify yourself, please. Hi, this is Lori T. Lori T. Um, yes, and um, I just want to share what the um, what the the panel brought up in me because uh, I don't know the book as well. I mean, I know like in, we read promises and things, but 
from what I heard them say, they were kind of extracting um, certain things as promises that I haven't heard necessarily classified as promises. So I highlighted in my book here they were talking, uh, particularly the last speaker, when it says, um, above everything we must be rid of selfishness, we must, or it kills us. I was starting to think that's a promise too. And this one about to drink is to die, I think that's a promise. And then I highlighted another one that um, although he may find it difficult, oh, excuse me, he may start off, oh, at some stage of his drinking, he begins to lose control um, of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. I'm wondering if that's a promise, too. So what I'm asking is, um, do they have, do any of the speakers have a feeling about what exactly constitutes a promise in the book? And am I correct in thinking that if they're not necessarily all warm and fuzzy, that some of the promises are indeed a little terrifying? So I was just hoping for some feedback on that. And I appreciate you letting me ask the question. Thank you. Thanks, Lori. Panelists, who would like to speak to that question? Penny Elsie. Thank you, Penny Elsie. Go ahead. Thank you for your question. And I'll be quite honest with you that um, the promises for me that I've been outlined um, and looked at through my big book um, were given to me as I went through it with a sponsor. And um, so it's been passed on to me. Um, I also know that, um, you know, by the power of our computers, we can Google uh, that information. And there are, there are others who have uh, discerned what promises are um, from the big book. But I think it's a personal thing, you know. Um, no matter what list you see or what what you're given, it's what speaks to you. You know, you're, um, whatever it is that is touching your heart that feels like it is meaningful to you, you know, there is no right or wrong answer necessarily. If it feels like a promise to you, and it may be something your higher power is using in the, on those pages to speak to you. And, um, you know, that God speaks to us in different ways. And, and perhaps, you know, a promise that I see may not be a promise that, that touches you. But if there is something that touches you, then, then that's a gift. And um, I would just be open to what it is that your higher power has in mind for you. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Penny Elsie. Any other panelists want to respond? I'll take that as a no. Perhaps the statements that are not so warm and fuzzy might be considered warnings, and as well as promises. Thanks, Lori T., for the question. Who else has a question this morning? Kathy K. Thomas, got you. Ruth H. Ruth H. Laura H. Laura H. Kathy K. Go right ahead. 
Thank you, uh, Leah, so much for your service. And thank you to all the panelists. Um, I have a question for anyone who wants to respond, and that is all of you talked about the importance of actively seeking your higher power in a relationship with this higher power, whether you call it God or something else. I wonder if you could say more about what you actually did when you first started to embark on this journey and what you continue to do today to seek your higher power on a daily basis. Thanks. Penny Elsie. Charles and then Penny Elsie. Ladies before savages. All right. <laughs> Penny Elsie, go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. This is Penny Elsie. Uh, and for me, it was a slow and gradual process. I had to sort of make it uh, part of a, of a, you know, behavioral change, and I had to set time aside and be very, um, you know, deliberate about my my prayer and meditation time. And that, then that, as you know, and I would set even at the beginning. I remember even setting a timer um, to be able to sit quietly for so long, and then extend that length of time. And today, that time is so welcomed, and it it comes just as part of my day. But I also want to say that prayer and meditation for me encompasses different facets of my day. It's not just my quiet time in the morning. You know, it's when I'm driving to work and I'm having um, prayerful time that is a time for me to, you know, be grateful and praise um, and give praise to my higher power. It's when I'm out walking, especially in nature, um, I feel the presence of my higher power and I am filled during that time and I and I just feel so connected. You know, it's, it's, it, it happens at the end of my day when I'm sitting quietly and doing my review. I just I want to stress for me that that my time to be with my higher power is throughout my day, but it it's something that I I've developed and I just look forward to, um, and it's not even a have to anymore. It's a get to, and and a joy. Um, so I would just say begin at the beginning, make you know take the baby steps, and just allow it to grow and unfold. Thank you. Thanks, Penny LC. Charles, your turn. Yeah, Leah, can you actually explain? Did she say, um, what do you do to continue? Uh, Can you frame the question again for me, please? That was my understanding, yes, to continue. Okay. Charles H., um, so on page 87, it says, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd absurd actions and ideas. Remember that word idea. Um, and, of course, we know what 85 says, you know, um, 
if if I don't continue, um, what we have is a daily reprieve. So if I stop doing this work, if I if <laughs> if I get that mindset that I'm doing God's job instead of God's work, then I'm in big trouble. Um, if I don't pause when agitated, see, it's so easy to start the day off with morning meditation. But what about throughout the day? Um, I am going to uh, go back to manufacturer's um, reset, which is selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, and fear. And you know what we what it says on page 84. It's going to happen. I don't care. You could be recovered all you want. It's going to happen. But a friend of mine told me in Boston that she does it so instantaneously like it ain't never happened. That That's so dope. So we continue to watch for this stuff, and we don't pack this thing away. We don't pack this away in a suitcase and don't open a suitcase. Every day we got to open a suitcase and know that by nature, these core defects are going to destroy me if I don't continue on this spiritual path. Thanks. Thank you, Charles. Thanks, Kathy Kay, for the question. Thomas P., your turn. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Thomas. I'm a compulsive overeater. <clears throat> um, I'm pointing from Ireland, and I have a question for for all timers, I suppose, or people that are recovered from this disease. And the question is acceptance. How do people get acceptance that they have a disease? Like, before they walk the program and go on a food plan, do they get a sponsor and follow direction? Or do, do they just keep eating till they get acceptance? Or how does that acceptance come about in the person, like, you know? Charles H.? Thank you, Thomas, for the question. Charles H., any other panelists want to address the early infancy stages of recovery process? Was that Melissa? Yes. Okay, Charles and then Melissa. I'm going to let Melissa go first because she probably knows better uh, how to answer this question than I do. Oh, my gosh. I'm putting you on the spot, girl. Melissa, and then I'm Charles. You Charles. Charles okay. We're with plenty of people on the dock app. I'm sure you have much to share. Go ahead, Melissa. Hi. Okay. So, I mean, I think that's a very personal uh, thing. Like, how does one, how does one come to a point of acceptance? Um, you know, some people get acceptance. Um, they gain 10 pounds, or they lose 10 pounds, or you know, they're they're what something doesn't fit them anymore, or they have, um, you know, they get caught binging, um, and that's enough for them to like have some pain and humiliation. I think whatever it takes is what it takes. Um, for me, I mean, I could speak on a personal level. Um, it took like trying over and over and over and over again, um, kept trying. And, um, you know, and for me, like, it took, all right, so I'll just put down a whole, you know, a whole food category, and then I'll be okay, right? And, um, you know, like, for me, what, when did I finally accept I had this disease? Um, when I was driving to work, um, terrified, um, like I was having tunnel vision, 
and I was shoving shredded wheat cereal in my mouth, and I didn't even like it, and I could feel that my gums were bleeding. You know, like I'm, 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 I'm eating food I don't like, and it's hurting me, and I'm scared. And, and that's when I accepted, oh, oh my God, I'm, I've got this thing that I keep hearing about, and, um, and, and I've, got, I've got to surrender. Um, you know, so I think it's a very personal, you know, question. I think where we find acceptance is, is where we find that we're screwed. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa. Charles, your turn. Thank you very much. Um, so there's two parts uh, of the big book text that I'm going to take you to. Um, but first I'm going to say experience um, is, is what is where I found acceptance. I mean, it didn't, you know, if you hear some of the teachers on the book, they didn't find acceptance right away. Um, it, it was a long journey. But I'm going, to, I'm going to take you to page 417 where it says, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person place, thing, or situation in this regard, you know, compulsive overeating and issues other that, that's pertaining to that, some factor of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. And I could go on to the rest, but I want, I'm so excited to take you to page 31 in my favorite chapter in the book, More About Alcoholism. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe that they're in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, I have so often. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. So, um, I, you know, it was experience. I could tell you in Virginia Beach I ordered takeout. Y'all ain't have ketchup and orange juice? I'll show you. So I swallowed the poison, and I didn't accept the fact that I was a real compulsive overeater. I didn't accept the fact that at conventions, you know, at normal, regular conventions, that's when, it, that's when uh, restaurant business uh, really takes off behind closed doors, so that's why I stayed with the herd. So when I accepted my disease, um, I took a certain attitude towards a higher power and realized that my life was unmanageable where food and every other situation is concerned. So I hope that's a little helpful. Okay. All right. Thanks, Carol, and thanks, Melissa. And thank you, Thomas P., for the question. Ruth H., your turn. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Pamela, for your service. Um, this is Ruth H., gratefully recovered in Connecticut. My question is this. Um, I have a friend, a relatively new friend. We haven't been someone I've met, you know, in the last year or so. Anyway, who seems to be coming to her own conclusion that she suffers from our disease and has started to ask me um, about my recovery, and I've started to share with her about OA. And I'm wondering if... Um, the promises is something that you would bring into that conversation or if there's other um, or, or, or basically how you approach that situation. It's a little different for me because this is a someone that's becoming a close friend but not someone in the fellowship. So I hope that's clear. Thank you. Very clear. Panelists? 
Charles H. Charles, go ahead, please. Three things I learned from my teacher that I can do, the teachers of this text. Recover, recover, recover. I mean, if they're interested, you know, because um, being a salesperson, I tried that. Um, I remember being Daffy Duck and knocking on people, knocking on, you know, taking people's inventory and knocking on their door, presuming that they wanted this prescription, and they slammed the door in my face, if they opened the door at all. So um, if they are attracted, um, you know, you can you can um, ask them if they want to open this text. And, and, and like working with others, say, if they are interested, um, show them, lend them a copy of this book or crack open the doctor's opinion with them. And, you know, if they're receptive to it, then keep on going. If not... You know, just recover, recover, recover. That's that's my advice. I hope that helps. Thank you, Charles. Anyone else want to speak to this? Penny Elsie. Please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Um, I think that, you know, by you just sharing your own experience, strength, and hope, um, you know, obviously she's seeing something in you that she she likes, and that's that's your open door there. And then sharing your story, if if you're comfortable doing that, or you know, if otherwise, also you can simply invite her to a meeting. Um, if she wants what you have, you know, offer her to do what you do, and. Um, and just trust that, that, you know, God will take it from there. And um, I think you have a beautiful opportunity here to do some 12-step work. And, you know, we, we're, we're, um, we're blessed when we can. And whether or not uh, she takes hold, that's, that's not up to you. You know, all you have to do is, is present it and then let it be what it is for her. And um, but as it's already been said, continue to work your program. Thanks, and I'll pass. Thank you, Ruth H., for the question. And our final question today comes from Laura H. Hi, it's Laura H. from upstate New York. Thanks so much for your service. I'm just wondering um, if the panelists could perhaps um, share their experience um, with the promises. There's there's many promises throughout the big book, and my experience has been that um, <laughs> they uh, they come true when I'm actively working my program, but they fade. Um, when I'm not. So, you know, one of the illusions I had was that um, once I got my food down, I got my weight down, and I worked the steps through nine, that those promises would be permanent. Um, But that's not been my experience. So perhaps they can share their own experience on that. Thank you. Penny L.C.? Lisa H.? Penny L.C. and then Lisa H. Thanks for the question, Laura. I 
I'll tell you that what I have learned, what I know from my own experience, is that this is a everyday, all of my life commitment. This disease is there. It's present. It's not going to fade. Um, I need to be vigilant. And I need to be working that spiritual solution. It says that I will have freedom from compulsive overeating if I stay in fit spiritual condition. And for me, that means being rigorous with my program. My disease doesn't take a day off and neither do I. And that has proven itself to me. I tried for six years sort of the stop and start part, part-time efforts. And all I could get was part-time abstinence. I could string together some and then I'd lose it. The only way I've been able to get long-term ongoing abstinence is to work this program every day and to be able to live in 10, 11, and 12 so that I'm staying connected with my higher power and I am doing what I believe is God's will for me, which is to reach out and be available to those still suffering. And with that, I'll pass. And Lisa H., thank you, Penny. Thank you. Um, This is Lisa H. Um, That's a great question. And one of the things I remember hearing again and again, and and sadly, I can't tell you what page it is in the big book. I'm sure someone else can, but it says we can't rest on our laurels, you know, because, boy, when I was um, got through four and five, six, seven, made my list, made my amends, and when I was done with my amends, um, I, I couldn't have been, been happier. And, and I came to a point where uh, what's next, you know, how do I keep doing this? Um, and it's spelled out in the big book, exactly how to keep doing it, living in 10, 11 and 12, you know, um, I would tell people, um, that I had to, I had to keep coming back, even though, I mean, I was recovered. I had to keep listening. If I couldn't get on the live meeting, um, I would listen to a meeting almost every day. Um, I wanted to be of service, even even if it's not a huge amount of service, but it kept me, it keeps me in the solution. It keeps me aware of, of others that are sick and suffering. Um, and, and by not resting on my laurels and by my best attempts on a daily basis, um, like Penny said, to keep in fit spiritual condition because that's the only way that I'm going to stay recovered and not go back to the food. Um, it does, you know, certainly being of service and being a sponsor and helping others, um, it reinforces everything that I had done, everything that um, has come to pass for me, everything that I have um, been able to let go of. Um, but but it's it's being... You know, one of the other questions was, how did you get started? And I can remember when I get started just praying, God, please help me be abstinent today because today's all I've got. If I'm living in yesterday, I'm in resentment. If I'm living in the future, I'm living in fear. And and so not resting on my laurels and um, continuing to, to live in 10, 11, and 12 is the only way that I can um, – stay in fit spiritual condition. 
Thanks. Thank you, Laura H., for the question. Looks like we can take a couple more. Hi, it's Michael. I have a question. Hi, Michael. Hi, Hold Michael. One, second. one moment. Anyone else? We'll take one more question for this morning. If there's anybody else. Gladys. And Gladys. Okay. Michael, go right ahead. Thank you again. I, I'm working diligently at the big book, and I, I love this particular meeting because it sticks to the archives. And I have a problem. I'm very thin-skinned, and even though I, I really attempt to give it to God every day, my higher power, sometimes I take it back. And I find myself doing a lot of service, not just in the program, but in the community, which is a great reward. But I also find myself um, getting hurt. Uh, by some of the people that I trusted. And whether it's me doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, and I give it to my higher power, and I really am attempting to keep it there because I've been in the program over 40 years, and my higher power never left me. But a few years ago, I left my higher power, and I basically had a horrible betrayal by family, and it took a long time for me to get my mind back in shape. So I am really wanting so badly just to not live in the past and to live in the present and realize that I can say the words, but sometimes I can't always feel the feelings. And I'll make, you know, I'll act as if. But I, I truly see people who are able to give it to higher power and keep it there. I keep saying to myself, nothing, absolutely nothing happened in God's will bond this day. So what's Michael, going on? Can we yeah. formulate a question, my friend, please? How do I do it? That's the question. How do I keep a daily living in the present. I keep letting it go. I can't stay there all the time. Charles H., go right ahead, please. By continuing, by recovering, 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 put down all your alcoholic substances, get it, take a certain attitude towards that power, um, decide to, decide to take the steps, chase God like your face is on fire, and continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When they crop up, ask your higher power to remove them. Discuss them with somebody at once and help somebody else. That's the that's the design for living. That's the description that's given in, in our basic text, and that's what works every single time. The, 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 the problem that, that used to happen with me is I rested on my laurels. You know, I talk to people, when I used to talk to people um, and say, what happened? I'd go around John's Corner instead of telling them the truth, which is I rested on my laurels. The big book is like a lion. You just set it free, and it defends itself. It's the truth, and that's the truth, and I hope that helps. Thanks. Thanks, Charles. Any other panelists want to address Michael's question? Melissa C.? Thank you, Melissa. Hi. Yeah, so, you know, that, like, the, it, it sounded like um, what you're experiencing is um, a resentment that's not going away. And um, and that's been my experience, too. But like, like Charles had said, like, so we chase this recovery um, with everything we've got. And those people that um, I seem to get, um, soar at again and again, um, you know, the inventory process and the steps begin to show me that that's me. 
Like I'm the problem here. And, um, and those people, you know, God actually puts in my life um, so that I can get to know God better. I can get to um, uncover more about myself better. And um, I work these through with other recovered people. Like this is where, like, you know, so I have an issue with a coworker and it keeps coming up and, and it has pressed me to reach out to other recovered people for their inspiration, their, their guidance, their, you know, their direction. And, and that's where I find, you know, um, I find my higher power through other people and through the words that they're given. And then there are some beautiful prayers, you know, like the sick man's prayer. Um, I say them over and over again. They were, those prayers work. If you pray for the people that are upsetting you, you know, like there's, there's, it's, it's recommended. Pray for them every day. You know, um, it, it's amazing. You really do begin to take a different view um, towards those people. Thank you. That'll- Thanks, Michael, for the question. And our last question for this morning comes from Gladys F. Hi, my name is Gladys F. Compulsive Overeater. Can you hear me? I can. Uh, yes, I didn't um, get a chance to hear the full uh, meeting from the panels, but I have a question uh, concerning, like, where I'm at now. And um, um, after being recovered and then struggling, losing my abstinence and struggling to get abstinence again, and then my... Uh, my sponsor was no longer available to sponsor me. And I have been, like, talking to another person that's been working with me, uh, you know, while I work on getting abstinence. But inside is, like, this uh, nagging, you know, nagging thoughts about me not wanting to, uh, like, start all over again with another sponsor. And... um I just wanted to see did anybody have anything to uh, say about that. All right. Thank you, Gladys. Any responses? Charles H. Thank you, Charles. Should I go or? Yeah, go. All right. Um, Gladys, thank you for that question. I I could sure identify with that. Um, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing in life, um, that is worth having and ascertaining is going to be easy. And, and I know about relapse, boy, I tell you that. And, you know, I just have that mindset and this is just for me. I just have that mindset that I relapse every day. Now, when I say that, I mean, because if I don't have that hunger for recovery on a daily basis, then I'm going to rest on my laurels because that's been my experience. I start over every day. And I think, uh, in, in my humble opinion, I think recovered people start over every day because if, if if we don't have that foundation on a daily basis, I think I speak for, for most. You know, i got to take step one every day. I have to – I can't just because I'm recovered say, oh, all of a sudden I'm not powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable. It's always unmanageable. So if I'm hungry enough, if I have that gift of desperation on a daily basis, 
I can recover. And you know, it, it's 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 either page twenty five says there's two alternatives. Either go on to the bitter end or pick up the spiritual toolkits and the toolkits is laid at our feet. Once you come to Virginia Beach, excuse me, <laughs> once you come to um, Newark next month so we can see these people, they are recovered, and we can just do it one day at a time together. And that's my answer. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Any other panelists want to respond to Gladys's question? Hi, it's Melissa C. again. I, yeah. You know, um, thank you. Um, you know, I, I think one of the really most painful parts of our disease, and there are lots of painful parts, is that we are we isolate ourselves, we alienate ourselves. I've been, um, you know, I've been a, a person who's been in a room with, you know, with people in my life that are close to me and all alone, feeling all alone with them. And so, like, this sponsor-sponsee relationship, um, it, you know, it's like our, um, it's like our training wheels how to get close and intimate and real with people. And, you know, maybe instead of looking at it like, oh, no, I have to do this again, like if you could just put your hand over your heart and say, okay, I'm willing to do this again. Like God is going to teach you um, how to get close to other people again. And that's where – like we learn from one another. So instead of looking at it like this, oh, drudgery, um, it really is a gift. Um, a sponsor is not a higher power, but it's it's like that it's someone who's going to hold our hand and help us kind of get across. And so like open yourself up. You're having another opportunity to draw closer to people. You know, this is like what we're here on earth for. We're not supposed to be alone in this. If we could, we would have done it by ourselves. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Gladys, for the question. And, of course, thank you to our four panelists this morning for your time, your service, your messages of hope and possibility. Thank you so much. And we're going to close from page 164. I will let you know that uh, the share ID for today is 10243. That's 10,243. From page 164, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.